Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, episode 40. Let's grow old and fit together. Hello, and welcome to Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Fusion Health Radio is a podcast of all kinds of healthy things to know. And uh, today we're talking about, uh, I guess, growing old and getting fit. Uh, I think that's a bit of a play on a book title, is it, Michael? Uh, yeah, so um, I guess I'll just dive into this bit of a new reality. Um, I've decided to launch a Kickstarter campaign, which I'll probably have up in a couple of weeks. Um, and I'm going to basically try and get some help to publish five books in 2018. Five? Yep. Wow. No flies on you. Well, you know, I thought I could do a couple more, but we'll see. <laughs> Most of them are already written, but... Um, one of them is called Let's Grow Old and Fit Together, and it's kind of a play on words because the title of the, or the cover of the book is basically saying let's grow old and fat together, because that's the saying is we get older, mm-hmm. uh, but then we have like a red circle with a line through it over the word fat, and then we spray paint the word fit to kind of graffiti over top of it, because I just thought that was a fun way of getting most people's attention around like the whole baby boomer don't age badly thing. Cause that's a thing I see in the clinic all the time is, you know, although people I see are technically usually chronically ill as they start to get better, their mindset naturally goes to, well, since I'm doing all this work and I'm no longer really sick, maybe it would be good to get really fit. And that's usually what I really want to encourage people to do. Cause, uh, this has been my experience in my own life that when you negotiate for not sick, you're not really negotiating for optimal health. You're just negotiating for less sick. Hmm. So what if I can convince anyone to say, well, why not just get into the best shape of your life while you're getting not sick and then you never see them again, but <laughs> <laughs> which is a weird positive in my life when I never see people again. But yeah, it's, um, probably a curse, I suppose, in some way it's like, <laughs> yeah. They come in one door and then they walk out the other and they never come back. It's just a fun way to end conversations with people. Well, I'm glad that we've met and we've done all this work together. And technically, I hope I never see you again because that means you're well. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a great idea. Uh, unless you do a podcast with them, in which case you get to see them every couple of weeks. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, speaking of podcasts, um, I'll give people a bit of a, a recap. There might be a few listeners out there who don't really um, know. This might be their first uh, time listening in. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, so for me, I focus on the practice of integrative medicine and I right now primarily do that by combining the vast wisdom and tradition of uh, Chinese medicine with the leading edge sciences of functional medicine and what we kind of call evolutionary medicine or evolutionary nutrition. Right. And, uh, that, uh, looks like, um, what to the, the lay person, if they were to come into your office, uh, complaining about something, what would they, uh, what would they experience? Um, Honestly, it would be more like a detective show than a doctor show. You'd be asking them 20 questions oh, with a bright light I... shining in their eyes? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. Usually it's more like we start before they're born and work through their basically their entire medical history. And then depending on what's going on, we may or may not need to do lab tests. Um, living in a small, not wealthy community... What I often recommend people do is go on the protocol for the condition that looks the most like what's going on um, and put their money towards making that happen. And if that solves their problem, for me, that's kind of like the test. Because for a lot of people who can't afford a thousand bucks in lab tests, then you might as well put that thousand bucks towards the protocol you're probably going to have to do if the lab test comes back positive anyways. And I'd say 80% of the time, just because doing Chinese medicine and functional medicine, I can usually kind of not so much guess, but, um, 
organize the information that I'm getting from people to the point where, you know, it's like 99% likely you have, say, a leaky gut or you have SIBO or something. Uh, SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So when it's really, really obvious symptomatically and from medical history and things they've tried, you know, it's like, well, do you want to spend this much money on a test or do you want to spend this much money on food? And it's about, I don't know, 75% of people would rather just do the protocol they have to do. And the people who we do end up, you know, using lab tests on, um, it's usually just because they want that confirmation bias, which is I absolutely know for sure my, you know, cortisol levels are out of whack or whatever. And then people who are who require that kind of confidence move ahead from there. Uh, and I'm happy to work with people either way. I just, you know, I, I get a bit of, I don't know what you would call it, um, gossip. <laughs> or flack or whatever for other people in the functional medicine world, because instead of, you know, basically just running lab test after lab test all the time, I just tend to say, look, it's pretty clear what's going on. Let's, you know, you're a single mom and you got two kids. So maybe let's just put that money towards, you know, feeding you and your kids. Sure. Sure. Well, it, it's kind of curious to me that, um, you know, we've, we've talked about this in shows in the past about uh, the pharmaceutical approach to medicine, um, you know, uh, drugs and surgery, uh, Western medicine, uh, that approach, not that it's wrong, it's just different than how you do things. Um, and if I were to look at that sort of model of medicine, um, and I'm sort of saying this out loud for the sake of the listener who may be new to the podcast, if I look at that model of medicine, I don't think my doctor has ever told me to um, really do anything short of, um, you know, get some fresh air and a little bit of exercise, and that's about all they would ever say. So how is it you actually have something to say about getting fit and growing old? Like, where does, where does your brain um, take that information from? Um. Do, do you follow me? It's just like, how, how come you're qualified to actually talk about being uh, fit and healthy in terms of health when a regular Western doctor uh, probably doesn't know anything? Well, I'm not sure that I would say that they don't know anything. I would say that there's this fundamentally weird thing when you get into working on a certain level of being a professional. And I mean, the word professional means you profess to have a capacity. So what a lot of clinicians end up doing is getting very kind of naturally nervous about what we call scope of practice. So if your scope of practice is pharmaceuticals, prescriptions, referrals for surgeries, minor procedures in the office, in the sense of being a general practitioner of Western medicine, um, they do a wonderful job at that. It's just that when you look at the overwhelming statistics right now around chronic illness, autoimmune disease, you know, the whole baby boomer metabolic syndrome, aging kind of catastrophe where our society may end up if we don't sort of solve the Alzheimer's thing, you know, that's really not their scope of practice. Although they're all talking about it, they're all writing about it, they're all worried about it. But we all get kind of inculcated into that. And I, I, I recognize very much that I don't toe the party line the way I'm supposed to, you know, but I do, I mean, I spend probably half, I don't know, say 10% of the conversations I have with people prefacing what I say, you know, although I'm not, you know, technically qualified or, you know, licensed to do this, the research that I've, you know, been made aware of suggests that this may be a better course of action. So it gets kind of slippery. Hmm. So I wouldn't suggest that Western medicine's not doing its job. I think our culture has misinterpreted what Western medicine's job is because okay. their job is to, you know, basically pat you on the head, put you back together, give you the medication you need to be comfortable, and then send you back into the world where things like folk medicine or your grandma's cultures, traditions, or other things should take care of the more long-term lifestyle stuff. Or 
if you've been through high school, you probably should know enough about physical health from taking gym classes to at least have the common sense to maintain that. And if, you know, life gets you distracted or you get stressed out or you fall into the patterns of addiction with whatever and your health goes sideways, um, and that happens obviously to more, more than half of us, then that's where you're starting from, hmm. you know, but it is, it is in my mind really just about changing the direction of, you know, who's responsible for our, our health. Cause it's not Western medicine. They're responsible for how you die, hmm. you know, cause that's their job. It's, oh my God, you got hit by a bus. Well, let's make sure you don't die today. <laughs> oh, you've got colitis. Let's make sure it doesn't kill you by suppressing your immune system. I mean, that's, that's their job. They're great at that job. Def we we just keep thinking that they have this other job, which is to support, inform, educate, and kind of maybe hold our hands through the months it takes to get, you know, your, your, your head about your health. Uh, death prevention as opposed to um, whatever it is we talk about here on the on the podcast. Well, it's funny. I was listening to this uh, audiobook recently. I forgot the name of it, but it's on what are called telomeres, which we might touch on a little bit today. And the authors decided to make a distinction between lifespan and health span. Okay. So there's your lifespan, you know, maybe you're going to get 82 years based on statistics. And then there's your health span, which is how much, how many of those 82 years you've actually kind of chosen to organize your habits and behavior to make that 82 years of health span instead of just not dead span. <laughs> right. Mm. And that's sort of what kind of brought up this, this, uh, compulsion to do this specific episode on growing old and fit together is no matter where you are at on the trajectory of age, you want to back away slow from the momentum you're on, unless you're super, super healthy and start changing some directions. So you don't experience what statistics are suggesting you will, because it's terrifying. Right, right. It's uh, it's interesting as you say that you know that the the opportunity that we have to take care of our own health is something that's um, quite often put into the hands of somebody who's not really qualified, and uh, I think that's um, as much as that's something that I already know. It's always a shock to hear that. You know, it's always kind of like, really, do we do that? I guess, yeah. we, <laughs> I guess we do that. I guess that's why we're doing this podcast in some way. Yeah. You know, I mean speak for myself i'm kind of happy to be connected to you and that researching brain of yours <laughs> to, to leverage it and put it out there in front of people right yeah i guess i'm a nerd but it's helping people so yeah sure so i think what it comes to mind would be i think to to start with kind of the you know there's that carrot and the stick when it comes to offering people support or <laughs> encouragement or scaring the crap out of them so I'm just going to ask you, if you don't mind, Anthony, what would you say is the average expectation for the last year of your life? Uh, you asking me personally? Uh, as a citizen of the modern Western world, what do you expect the last year of most people's lives to look like? Um, hmm. I don't know how to answer that. I would think that uh, most people want to have... Um, well, there's what people want, and then there's what you could say we could, you know, if you actually walked around today, if you, I, you and I went to hospitals, uh, you know, uh, senior care facilities, old folks' homes, you know, there's sort of sure. different tiers of community organizations that allow people to, uh, you know, spend their senior years well, in the way they do. But I guess if you and I went around with a clipboard and just talked to the people who are going to die in the next year, what are they going through? They're going to say one of two things, that they want to die peacefully. And without any sort of pain, and then there's somebody else who wants to die with their boots on. Somebody else who wants to, like, you know, uh, kick the bucket, you know, two minutes after they land from doing their 15th base jump or something. Yeah, true. 
But again, I'm just trying to bring the listener to a certain, I don't know, appreciation of something. But again, statistically, what's that last year going to look like from the outside? Like any other year? Um, mm, you really stumped me on this one. I'm not sure how you're... Do you expect people to be emaciated and weak and in pain and probably in a wheelchair? Or do you expect the last year of most people's lives to be like you said, booting along with your cowboy boots and then, you know, hopefully that one last hot night is the last hot night or whatever. But again, I'm just asking the question because I'm trying to bring people's attention to the average because the average is on 15 medications in a wheelchair for the last year of your life and then done. Hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would think that most people um, are kind of resistant to the whole idea of aging because they have this impression of it being... Uh, for lack of a better word, really constipating to everything that you like to do. Um, it's the kind of impression that, um, you know, people don't have, uh, how's the, how do I describe that? People wouldn't necessarily have a happy, jolly picture of their, their last year of life. And that's my point. You know, and I'm not trying to spank anybody here. This is true for each of us. We're either, again, going to try and back away slow from the negative of disease or, you know, whatever it is that each of us is kind of, I don't know, on the dashboards of our, our life telling us danger, danger. So if we back away from the things that may leave us in less health, that's that's kind of like self-defense, you know, please don't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you turn around, grab your health by the short and curlies or whatever the appropriate expression is and start steering your life not only away from disease but but be but towards a specific quality of the last 25 years of your life because hmm. most people retire 60 70 you know somewhere in there and they may have 15 20 years left sure and possibly even up to 25 or more if they actually decide to focus on the anti-aging opportunities that you know, we're now kind of more aware of with science. And I think that might be kind of its own podcast if we want to get into all the tricky biochemistry of exactly how aging works. Today, I just want to really bring people's attention to the fact that you are going to become an old person. You are going to spend the last 20 years, 10 years, five years, the way that you prepare yourself to. Hmm. And, you know, I'm not suggesting we all have to try and be um, competitive bodybuilders in our 90s, although wouldn't suggest that, that that would be a bad idea either in the sense of how healthy you would be if you maintained more more muscle mass into your old age. But I'm just really asking anyone who's listening to this is, have you thought through what you want the last 5, 10, 15 years of your existence to be like? And are you aware of what you're up against right now? Hmm. And I know that sounds a little bit dark, but that's that's what we all have to move through is the statistics and the momentum of modern health. Well, I would... I would uh guess that most people have this um, inability to look beyond the weekend and uh, getting old might just be this um, concept uh, a very not even a loosely formed one it's just like you know they're going to get there one day and go like oh how'd this happen (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't remember this yeah (laughs) you know so um so as as you as you talk about uh, fit uh, and 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 aging and that sort of thing, it makes me think of how um, society, North America, is getting um, boomerized, zoomerized, or whatever whatever it is. We're all we're all getting um, older. I mean, I turned fifty, fifty, yeah, fifty in twenty eighteen. Um, me too. Yeah, 
and you know uh, we're not getting any younger <laughs> not, not yet <laughs> <laughs> um you know and, and I, I'm, I'm just curious as to like what uh where do you want to sort of start with the idea of getting fit and um um when do you mean getting older like when do, when does old start i guess is what i'm trying to ask am yeah, i old yet good question so i would say <laughs> i would i mean let's, have I still let's, got let's, time, let's, how much time do i have i'm not sure it's really going to help for us to create kind of like that kind of finish line start line kind of thing but sure if we look at the context of aging it starts at 40 hmm. in the sense that your metabolism basically starts to slow down about 10 percent every decade so at 50, then it's 20% more weightlifting and, you know, chin-ups to get the same result and, you know, uh, on and on and on. So uh, that's typically when I would suggest anyone start um, even a monthly, just sort of while you're flossing your teeth, just have a little monthly chat going, okay, so my metabolism is going to drop 10% in the next decade. So am I doing anything about that? And, you know, what's my family genetics look like? And... Um, given that one in two people, one in three people may end up dealing with some kind of cancer after 40. So, okay, that's something you might want to, you know, be thinking about when you're in the health food store buying certain kind of supplements or something, something as simply as dandelion would be a brilliant idea or certain kind of funguses just, just to say like, oh yeah, just in case. Then we have all of the metabolic syndrome stuff around cortisol dysregulation because of stress and not enough sleep. And then uh, the profound problems we have with insulin resistance and, you know, mm -hmm. prediabetes. And I mean, it's one in three people who is pre-diabetic in the United States right now. It's, you know, I can't remember the exact number, but every person who becomes clinically diabetic on average costs $360,000 to just manage their case from the time they're diagnosed to the end of their life, just as an average. Wow. Uh, not only is it a, a, a basically a plague on all those individuals and the families, but it's profoundly expensive for all of us who are trying to figure out, perhaps in, in the U.S. anyways, uh, how to, you know, fundamentally consider actually the same kind of healthcare system we have in Canada because in Canada healthcare is relatively free. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if I, if I was people trying to pay for healthcare in the States, given that one in three people, you know, if they're not changing their lifestyle will be that expensive to just keep from dying from diabetes and everything, all the, never mind all the other complications that come downstream. Never mind all the other things that make us sick. You know, so, so never mind, is it that going to change the quality of your life? It's now, now you're basically an irresponsible person with respect to our entire collective economy because you just decided not to give a crap about you know your own health and what that would do to the rest of you know our, us as a community and i think i'm speaking to this more uh, in my hope that hopefully within the next few years we actually become as a you know a, a planetary society one that assumes things like food water and healthcare are just the rights of any community unless we're assholes <laughs> that, that's just my opinion <laughs> Mike and, for president, 2020. Yeah, no, never. <laughs> um, you know, if Alzheimer's statistics don't change, um, it's likely that 30% of our entire economy would be necessarily directed to maintain that because it takes three people for every person who has Alzheimer's to keep that person from basically running into the, all the things that can go wrong when you have no like real memory of how to run your life. Wow. So, I mean, it, it, we hit 19, 20% of our population has Alzheimer's, you know, which could statistically conceivably happen, worst case scenario. That's the end of the economy, unless we're going to euthanize everybody with, with Alzheimer's. 
And then right now, one in six people walking around has a, a brewing autoimmune process. And at the end of our lives, one in three of us is going to die of an autoimmune disease. So, no, I mean, I guess that sounded like, I don't know, I should have done this as a Halloween episode. You know, <laughs> dun, 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 eek. Scary, scary numbers. But, you know, there's that. There's cancer, close to one in two people, cardiovascular disease, number one killer of people in midlife. So... Every one of these things, every one of these things is preventable. Mm. And and you, you said it earlier that, I mean, I'm sort of one to always want to have you put things on a list or sort of quantify ideas. Um, you know, you said about, you know, there's no real sort of finish line as or start, starting line as to like, this is when it happens. But um, is there any sort of things that you want to suggest in terms of, um, say what happens to men as they get older or what happens to women as they get older? I mean, is there, is there some sort of, um, okay, now that we know that the whole world is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> we, need, we need a soundtrack. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> now that we don't, thanks for ruining the party, Michael. Now that we're all going to die. I mean, what do we do about this? Like, where do we start? Uh, well, I'm glad you brought up that kind of pivotal thing around, you know, when we really start to notice we're aging and that's going to be around menopause or what we call andropause. And I would say that would be, you know, if, if you can appreciate that, I don't know, I guess as an athlete, I tend to try and challenge people a little bit, hmm. you know, you can do it, man, five more pushups <laughs> or, you know, I can try to be really encouraging, but either way, um, what I would really encourage or challenge anyone to do is make sure that you go through menopause or andropause or the male version of menopause completely as squeaky clean and as happy and healthy as sexually virile and robust as you can be because that's like the first real rite of passage i mean if you enter aging uh through menopause or andropause with a lot of belly fat with a lot of uh low uh, symptoms in the sense of fatigue mood poor sleep uh, with women it gets more intense around hot flashes and, and night sweats and stuff and, you know, those things are actually due to brain hormones trying to force your endocrine system to balance out hormones that can no longer produce. So just FYI, if you're curious, what is a hot flash? It's your brain screaming about estrogen and progesterone and there's glands going, sorry, can't do it. Hmm. You know, but again, these are just all dashboard lights for warning signs as to the momentum of aging. Right. So I right. would say if you're in your 40s, you know, male or female, you know, job one is to get through that transition between 45 and 55 with the most vitality, the most vigor, and because it's about reproductive health, hopefully the most uh, uh, consistent sense of libido, you know, with respect to who you are. For some people, libido is I want to have sex twice a day. Some people it's once a week. But as long as you're, you're feeling that, you know, you're libido is uh, consistent with most of your adult life, you know, obviously it's going to slow down, but if it just suddenly stops and you just suddenly start getting weighty and stop sleeping and getting depressed, I mean, you could blame aging or you could recognize your metabolism has gone completely sideways hmm. and that is going to affect very much your, you know, your virility in, in that way. And just really quick, because I threw out that, you know, piece for women uh, around kind of what's driving symptoms with menopause. Uh, and this is, if there's kids listening, this is going to be medically accurate, but in a way graphic. So just FYI, if you want to distract the little ones for 10 seconds. Uh, for men out there, if you're not waking up with an erection every morning, you need to focus on supporting your masculine hormonal health. Hmm. So if you don't have morning wood, that's a, that's a dash light. 
yeah, uh, I would usually say if you don't wake up in a tent, that's a that's a dashboard lead saying you're you probably shouldn't be uh, being uh, excessively sexually active, or especially with respect to masturbation, because you're not you don't have the hormonal tissue resources to maintain a normal sense of virility. Hmm. And so this whole shift of uh, like like you said that this is something that you you suggest that both men and women actually go into this whole stage of their life uh, being the best that they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, how come? Like, what is, is there because it's like, you know, you're about to jump off the, the cliff and you want to make sure that you land properly or something? Or? Well, that's one way to put it. Uh, well, that's one way to put it. I think, you know, we have the expression over the hill. Mm-hmm. So that hill could be um, something out of a cartoon, you know, in the sense of straight up and straight down where you're bicycling up, you know, basically 90 degrees off the ground. And then once you get over the hill, because your life has been that, you know, extreme in the sense that it's all straight up and that it's all straight down, you're going to crash and probably not get past 45 in the sense of the metaphor of over the hill. So if we can try and have the, I don't know, a hill on the prairies instead of a big scary mountain, then the shape of your life, the trajectory of the ups and downs is going to have a much less intense down. Hmm. You know, the idea is like, you know, gradually get to the peak of the hill around 45 and then hopefully spend another 40 years gradually diminishing to you know with respect to aging because it's for me it's kind of like the shape of a graph if it's a really intense beginning it's going to be a pretty intense ending if it's a pretty um modulated and consistent and you know focused on longevity then that's going to be the curve of what over the hill looks like for you something about what you just said there makes me think of um the blue zones I'm sure you know what they are. Blue zones around the world are the places uh, oh, yeah, they've right. noticed, uh, or statistically, they have the most people that live to be 100. Um, and they talk about in uh, where they do uh, physical exercise on a daily basis that's low impact. Basically, you're just a shepherd and you're walking up and down a mountain. Yeah, that, that, they, that, that would be probably the best best career, being a shepherd who has to climb rocks once in a while to rescue kids <laughs> not baby goats <laughs> yeah but it, it just makes me think that it's like that that slow and slow kind of thing as opposed to you know um getting a hot rod camaro and burning it burning it out and doing donuts and then uh running out of gas and then having to walk home kind of thing it's funny that you actually brought up that image because one of the things i wanted to touch on is what we call a midlife crisis Okay, so I left out the Barbie doll. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's the embarrassing typical male midlife thing is we are going to go and get a Corvette or something and drive up and down whatever Main Street is, trying to get the attention of, you know, young women who may or may not be that interested in people with Corvettes, but... And receding hairlines. And whatever else is going on. <laughs> um, and I guess, again, this is probably going to be a bit graphic, but, you know, for both men and women, when we hit that transitional point in our lives the superficial adolescent version of it is I somehow missed my chance to access contact with enough genitalia of my preferred sex, you know? So it's like, I just need 10 more or five more, or I just want to know what that colored one feels like or something or, Hmm. and, you know, I think it's that, that version of a midlife crisis just speaks to how we've kind of commodified sexuality and sexual access and, you know, notching your, pistol handle your lipstick case you know how many people have you been with which is whatever it means to you that's what it means to you but 
it's really interesting to me that uh, when you look at what a you know a mature, more conscious version of a midlife crisis is, it's about actually finding meaningful, deep, passionate, creative connections with more than just you know your spouse, and it mm-hmm. doesn't have to have as much to do with sexuality, although. You know, I don't know, I think in the modern world, we could loosen up a lot of our constraints, given that less than half marriages actually work out now. But um, I think I just would encourage anyone listening to this, if you are kind of feeling the fidgety, weird midlife stuff of what have I missed out or, you know, my deathbed, when am I going to regret not having this many more sexual partners? If that's your biggest drive, then you're going to figure out how to solve that, you know, and get that result in some way. Mm-hmm. Um hopefully in some ethical way. <laughs> um, but more importantly, if if we recognize that what we're really looking for is the kind of uh, passion and connection and, and playfulness and creativity that is um, experienced in a sexual relationship, but can also be experienced in how much fun you have playing with your kids or how much fun you have playing sports with your you know friends on your, I don't know, floor hockey team. It's It's really deciding that what that midlife thing is, is knowing that we can profoundly connect to people in the most playful, confident way. Cause that's a big part about becoming an adult, you know, primate and adult predator is I don't have to try so hard, but I'm really good at this whole life thing. Mm. Well, I, I know a few men in their, uh, in their forties, um, some in their late thirties who are really questioning who they are in the world, um, and trying to figure it out in a way that, um, has been really challenging or difficult for them because the, models that they've been shown uh, through family or friends um, aren't the right ones. Uh, images they see in the media certainly aren't the right ones. And so they're sort of like, you know, wandering the desert alone, just sort yeah. of scratching their head going, what do I do? And and, and so like, as you're describing it here, um, you talk about uh, menopause and andropause, those sort of uh, physiological things that it sort of dictate how it is we show up in the world. Um, is there any sort of considerations that uh, people can um, uh, pay attention to? Like, is there something that can actually be done to um, support yourself if you're going through this sort of, I don't know who I am anymore, and Corvettes are starting to look good again? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would step say step one for all of us is are you really truly aware of, you know, your inner why, your inner purpose, your inner drive? I mean, that's a really deep question for anyone. And I I can say I slip in and out of a real deep sense of being connected to that in my life and then having times where I kind of feel like I've been bounced out of that, you know, big truth, you know, passion kind of uh, purpose, you know, and that's, that's life. But at least I can say that in the moments when I have felt the most connected to a, a, a deep, you know, uh, called a spiritual calling or, a you know, purpose in this life, um, all the other decisions I make around lifestyle, habit, exercise, diet, uh, the kind of connection I choose to are all just naturally kind of meant to maximize potential. And then there's other times when I think I'm naturally kind of hovering in a bit of an indecisive place where my lifestyle choices are less, uh, about, you know, can't wait to make this happen. It's kind of like, well, I gotta get through this afternoon <laughs> and it's really not great. Right. Um, and I think the balance of those two experiences is really how we keep moving ahead because the illusion that you're always going to be, you know, 110%, you know, without a lot of support and focus is it's an illusion. Hmm. And the reality that we all do get into kind of messy, confused places so that we can shake off, 
you know, distractions and shake off habits to build confidence by, you know, reaffirming our goals or our, you know, our sense of purpose that, that those things have to happen. I don't know if it's once a month or twice a year, however many times it has to happen for each of us to, to know I am still growing in the direction I choose to through the haze of, you know, habit and distraction or addiction or, or whatever. And that, that's our confidence is I keep consistently shaking off the, the willies or the, the whatevers and moving ahead. Mm-hmm. And I would say, given that equation of, are you living your purpose or are you presently shaking off whatever's between you and your purpose? Can you do all of that and make sure it's not stressing you out? Because hmm. stress is the number one absolute killer. Stress bad. Bad. Sugar bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> Tune into another podcast where you'll hear Michael say those <laughs> the very things over and over again. Sugar pad. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I'm getting old, according to you. <laughs> Maybe according to the. <laughs> Hang on. Let me check my watch. I was going to say I don't even wear a watch, dude. So. <laughs> um, is there some sort of um, I don't know formula or approach to? Um, um, doing that gracefully in a way like do you have some sort of uh ideas that you want to share here yeah and i I've actually i love the fact that you said that because that was one of the things i was really wanting to to say to people you know if, if you're aging gracefully you know you're sure you could think of someone in a <laughs> i don't know a ballet leotard and tutu or whatever but um i think it just really has to be about being in your body you know in your present state in in your facial expression um, the way that kids are a little bit so that you are, I don't know, graceful because you're actually like showing up in whatever way you are. If you're goofy, if you're kind of nerd like me, then it's going to be doing podcasts and helping people out. But, uh, the beauty of each of us is in, in, in the, the part of us that actually feels a bit more playful. Hmm. So I think in, you know, step one is, can you do this without, you know, making it a big, huge stress fest? Right. And, um, in terms of a formula, I mean, I would say I would fall back on what we call the primal paradigm, which I think was one of our initial podcasts, uh, which I'll use as kind of a loose framework to get into what I would recommend people to consider as they get older. But step one with the primal paradigm is to be really aware of your physicality, you know, can you move it, move it? I'm trying to remember that little <laughs> lemur from some kid's show I remember watching with my kid 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, but if, if you can stay mobile and stay uh, ahead of the momentum of aging in the sense of you're always getting a little bit leaner and fitter instead of you're always getting a little bit, you know, weaker and fatter, or at least you're holding your own, then that's a, a measure of physicality. And it doesn't mean everybody has to have six-pack abs and be in good shape. It's that we're not passively negotiating with... Uh, the opposite because hmm. if you are gaining you know five pounds a year or ten pounds a year and if you are getting more and more fatigue and literally feeling like your body's wearing out there's a lot of things you can do about that and it starts with physicality because fundamentally as you start to break down and rebuild more muscles um, in whatever way you choose to do that you're going to have more of what's called a human growth hormone in your blood supply. And after 40, that's a hard thing to keep going. Mm-hmm. You, you actually have to do the work to just be normal, never mind better. <laughs> 
That's kind of encouraging. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to go over here and cry now. <laughs> sorry to be the bearer of the actual news. <laughs> but... <laughs> your life sucks as you get older. According to Dr. Nichols Smith, it's no, not getting no, any better. No. Your life requires some momentum. It's kind of like a Flintstones car. You just got to keep your feet kicking okay. and then you're going to keep going the way you want to go. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> well, I'm glad I bought a bike this year. Yeah, yeah. So we've gone through this a few different ways, but I'll just uh, quickly give people the kind of down low on on this if you are going to get into resistance training step one should always be some kind of circuit training just so that you're building what are called the mitochondrial engine of your muscles Mm -hmm. so usually i recommend people do like a 45 second on 15 second off kind of thing where you just pick you know say 15 exercises you go to the gym and you do each one of those 15 exercises again 45 on 15 off and then maybe you do that whole circuit twice. So you're in the gym for 30 minutes. You're doing mild cardio in the sense that you're always active. Uh, you're spreading your exercises across hopefully most of the major muscles of your body. And you're giving a chance for just the spark plugs or the mitochondria of your muscles to kind of catch up with new effort. Mm-hmm. And of course, that is going to change your metabolism because now you have lots more spark plugs asking for calories. So now you're actually burning more calories even when you're not exercising because those muscles now have to keep those... Uh, spark plugs or mitochondria in there just in case you go back to the gym again. Right. Now that process takes about three weeks. <clears throat> so, you know, three weeks ain't that much to spend, you know, three days in the gym for 30 minutes, just basically improving the idle of the engine of your metabolism, mm-hmm. you know, because again, more spark plugs, you got to burn more fuel and you're going to feel more fit. Uh, all those growth hormones affect mood, right? They, they affect your virility in terms of being a sexual being. They improve your sleep. They improve your response to stress. Uh, you know, one of the themes that keeps coming up in our conversations is, you know, it's not often spoken of, but medically, when you look at it, your skeletal muscles are one of the largest organ systems in your body, and they regulate everything from stress to blood sugar to inflammation to, again, sleep. So, so sorry, these skeletal muscles? Yeah. They are? The muscles that are between all your bones. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I guess skeletal muscles are the long ones that, you know, go up and down by your spine or up and down by your legs and arms and right. the long ones. Yeah. Yep. I just wanted you to clarify that. Cool. Thank you. So step one again is, you know, tune up your mitochondria with some circuit training. And then after that, um, you have to kind of make the decision. Are you going to go for kind of long and lean muscle or are you going to go for more short and round muscle? You're going to be a... Uh, Let's see, a triathlete, or are you going to be somebody who's jacked? Uh, I don't know if I'd say triathlete, but I'd say kind of more like the tone people who do a lot of yoga get, or who do like Pilates or martial arts or Qigong, where because you're doing a lot of extended postures and extended holds and and stuff, you just build a longer kind of muscle structure. Whereas if you're a person who's doing more like high intensity interval training and doing higher weights uh, and lower reps, you're going to get the more round, bumpy, contoured muscles, which, you know... <clears throat> statistically get the most oohs <laughs> from, <laughs> from people who are watching dance. But um, so again, if you're, you've done the mitochondrial thing, the next thing is either to get into more core tone uh, focus, things like Qigong and yoga and Pilates and uh, that kind of stuff. Cause you're not thinking about becoming a really strong person or become a really strong person. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do that, you would benefit the most from, the high intensity interval stuff because you're basically gassing out your muscles on a neurological level. And that's a huge component of strength is not only having lots of mitochondria, but having the nerve conduction to power through resistance. Hmm. 
So that takes a few weeks to build up those kind of nerve fibers. And then after that, it's basically just spending months and months and months doing low rep, high weight. <clears throat> if you're going for mass, uh, and strength, uh, and until you hit plateaus. And if you hit plateaus, then you have to talk to somebody who really knows what they're doing to help you figure out exactly how to confuse your body to break through those plateaus. Right. And those plateaus happen also with respect to fat loss. If you're doing everything you can in terms of diet and exercise and things to bring your weight down. And it's just, you know, we all get to that last 15 pounds that just for whatever reason require bigger negotiations. <laughs> There are ways to kind of force your metabolism to go deeper into its, you know, self-repair. But it's better to do those things, I think, under the guidance of somebody who's um, able to make sure you do it without hurting yourself. Sure. But I would say that's always step one for me is start with the physical. It's a no-brainer. Pick stuff up, put stuff down, touch your toes, you know, keep your core toned. Focus more on overall fitness than just how you look. And... I don't want to get too far distracted here, but I think you've said it in the past that um, uh, cardio workouts aren't necessarily healthy in some way compared to doing something like picking up stuff and putting stuff down, like doing weights. So that's mostly for people who have chronic inflammatory or kind of chronic autoimmune things, because if you're running for more than 35 minutes, you're going to hit that runner's high. And that runner's high is a group of hormones that are going to keep you from feeling the pain you would naturally feel from actually burning tissue proteins in your muscles while you're actually burning the calories in that muscle itself. Because typically that would be a very uncomfortable experience mm -hmm. uh, to be that burned out. And I mean, eventually you would get to that anyways. But if you're constantly signaling, you know, the back of your brain with survival endorphins that say, we better dump ourselves full of these pain-killing endorphins to keep running away from whatever it is that's going to get us. And again, that's only really a serious concern if your body is chronically inflamed or you do have that autoimmune thing where the molecules that are telling the story of your body to the rest of your body, they determine how fast the autoimmune disease actually will take you out. So by having these survival endorphins of, oh my God, we're running away from something dangerous, typically tends to accelerate um, kind of hormonal resistance patterns, cortisol resistance, insulin resistance, because you're just forcing your body to adapt uh, against a stressor when it's already running on a very stressful metabolism. I think if you've got a really good normal metabolism, you're relatively fit and you want to run, you know, a marathon just to see what that would be like, that's probably going to be fine. Although you're not going to look like uh, a sprinter, you're going to look like a person who can run 30 miles, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, uh, it's just, you know, obviously not really about what you look like unless it is. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of the whole, um, uh, approach to fitness and that sort of stuff. Is there any um, resources that you want to give to people? Is that something we could put in the show notes? Do you have some? Well, I think we've had a couple of podcasts talking more in detail about how muscles work and how to do all those exercises. Um, <clears throat> one thing I want to do, I actually just came up with this last night is because I'm going to be doing this Kickstarter thing and getting all these books going and especially for the, this one here. Sure. Um, what I'm going to do is go on my uh, YouTube channel, which is integrativehealthsolutions.ca, um, and I'm going to make a playlist for each of the primary exercises. So if you want to learn bicep curls, I'll pick the top 10 videos that don't suck at explaining bicep curls. So that way I can have an aggregated way of demonstrating these exercises without having to go through the embarrassing experience of going to the gym and taking <laughs> videos of me picking up weights because there's people out there who really, you know, Look, look can, like, can demonstrate it in a, in a much more inspiring way than me. <laughs> you mean look better on film? 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm 50, man. Those, those big ones. <clears throat> okay. Um, have we come to the next part of the primal paradigm? Uh, step one with a primal paradigm, or what I would suggest is a pretty good way to organize your thinking around getting fit, is just physicality. No matter how... Even if you're in a wheelchair right now, you could be doing something to improve your central nervous system's memory of you as a physical being. Mm -hmm. Even if you're already an athlete, you could probably be balancing out what you're doing in whatever way you could with respect to meditation or flexibility or core strength or something. So we all have the chance to be uh, training a little bit to improve that part of our experience, right? whatever it is. As long as you're doing something about it, neurologically you're in better health than if you're doing nothing about it. Right. Right, because it's just a confidence thing. Look, me, I'm going to, you know, learn to juggle or something. So next thing would be obviously eating for your ancestry, you know, whatever that is. And there's a lot of different uh, approaches to that. Um, but they all basically come down to, you know, like a paleo diet or a homesteader diet or some people a ketogenic diet. So I would suggest anyone, you know, I've got my book, Returning to an Ancestral Diet, and it kind of is framed that way of going back in time from the modern diet to a homesteader diet to a hunter-gatherer diet to a diet that uh, theoretically is the diet that transformed us basically from primates into proto-humans, uh, which we call the Ice Age diet because, you know, that's kind of how it all came around. Mm -hmm. So by eating a diet, you know, that's very, very healthy and nutrient-dense, which would include all of those diets, uh, is in the long term, I think, just a no-brainer. Now, if you have a certain medical condition and that you're trying to pull yourself out of, you may need to go on a much more precise diet. Like the last podcast, podcast we did was on the autoimmune protocol, which is one of the most uh, effective uh, protocols for chronic disease, especially when it's an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. So common sense, nutrient-dense, lots of fat, lots of vegetables, healthy amount of protein, try not to over cook or fry your proteins. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, grass-fed is way, way better than uh, grain-fed animals, and organic is better than not, uh, you know, but just in the most general sense. But I would say if, you know, you're listening to this and you're like, oh, yeah, but I do have this psoriasis thing or, you know, whatever, get a hold of someone and make sure that, you know, whatever diet plan you're going to be on is the most effective for you. And, I mean, you talk to some naturopaths, there's the blood type diet. Uh, so there's ton, tons of ways to just sort of wrap your mind around what's what's what what makes the most sense to you uh that's going to keep you focused and consistent on taking care of yourself mm -hmm. right okay so uh exercise diet that sounds like a pretty um common sense thing to do yeah <laughs> kind of heard that before yeah. podcasts in the past yeah namely this one yeah well i think most most people are going to have to start there just to have some quick successes you know I've been mm -hmm. to the gym every week for two months. So I'm eating real food most of the time. Okay, look at me go. And would would you say that uh, um, any amount of effort in that direction is uh, beneficial? Yep, because the opposite is a stark, deep, instinctual, natural paranoia of, well, I'm just waiting to see what comes down the tracks and eventually you know, crashes into my life. Uh, cause I'm not doing anything to prevent that mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to be in a, you know, an unkind person in saying that, but and I'm not going too far afield, but I have to say what I have to say here. A lot of people in the modern world live in a slightly low grade state of shock. And when you're in that place, 
dissociation, distraction, binge watching, whatever it is you're going to watch, or, you know, minor to major addictive behaviors is really the only successful strategy because for whatever reason, you're, you're actually just kind of been bounced out of your own deep core self in some way, just by the impatience of the world or, you know, traumatic relationships or all kinds of other things, or even just, you know, candida can mess with your brain enough. You can't really focus and you don't care anymore. Hmm. So there's a lot of stuff that's possible. But the thing I, the reason I bring that up, Anthony, is I really just want to like kind of shock people a little bit and say, you, we all have to wake up to something because we're all snoozing to something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, pretty guilty of being a slug um but i have that genetic advantage of being a skinny one <laughs> <laughs> bastard <laughs> yeah so all those those people who think that they um i mean i say all the information out there about oh your diet improve your diet lose weight now i'm like really lose weight <laughs> give me a break but the idea of actually doing something versus nothing uh, yeah. is, is, is the key thing that I, I really wanted you to speak to is because, yeah. you know, and in your case, and I think we've had this conversation, the biggest advantages you could create in your life, although you're a fit, healthy guy, so it's not like you're in any kind of trouble. But if you were to put 10 pounds of skeletal muscle on your frame, mm -hmm. your immune system would just naturally purr like a kitten because the body needs that protein resource sometimes to just know it could handle a serious infection. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I'm not a big guy either. So, you know, I do, when I do actually go to the gym enough to actually feel tone and strong and I am making more muscle and burning more fat, um, the world is just a sunnier place because my metabolism is just happier because I'm not waiting to see what, you know, comes around the corner when I'm not doing any kind of fitness training. Well, you just make the, the word confidence comes to mind. If your body feels confident, so will you. Yep. Uh, diet, exercise, uh, what else? Next one, and it's, this, this is the <laughs> most common sense one, I think, but the hardest to get people to really uh, feel how juicy it can be, and that's just simply being connected to people. Hmm. I mean, nowadays it's the disconnect. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't understand a lot of this because I don't live it, but I've talked to, I don't know, how many people 20, 25 years younger than me who would actually be offended if I called them on the phone. You mean you gave them a regular old phone call? Unless I texted them first, because they would prefer that I didn't actually talk to them. They would prefer that I just told them what I wanted to say. And if they wanted to respond to me, then they could. But in their isolated self-bubble, they don't have to. Well, that's a new one by me. You need permission to call somebody. Wow. There, I mean, that's a, that's a thing with some people. And hmm. I'm just bringing that up because a lot of the young people today... Uh, with respect to connection, their sense of connection is how many people they are connected to in a virtual space, sure. which I think instinctually satisfies certain, you know, emotional sort of social needs. But until we're actually confident, again, being able to sit down in any restaurant, in a broken elevator, in a, I don't know, subway that gets stuck or something like that, until you know you can sit into any conversation with any other human being of any age, any race, any religion, until you're like, I'm down with anybody. I can sit here and be completely me with other people. You're a person who's negotiating your social life in a way that's stressful. Hmm. And of course, I, know, I, I get that I'm polarizing that in a pretty you know, loud way. But, you know, connection is the essential thing that we're here for. I mean, we're going to eat, we're going to sleep, we're going to have our, you know, 
belly fat or our six pack abs or whatever. Um, hopefully we're going to eat well and take care of the planet, but what you're going to walk out of here with is a depth of connection. You know, you look at the deathbed regrets, and I think that might be a good thing to throw in the show notes is just a top five deathbed, deathbed regrets that every nurse and every hospice worker sits and talks to people about in the last days of their life. I wish I would have spent more time being connected to my family. I wish I have spent way, way more time playing instead of trying to possess things. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine right now is going through a process uh, in his relationship. Um, the thing he's come up with in order to uh, take care of himself in the dissolution of this relationship, the potential dissolution of this relationship, um, is to do validation exercises. Hmm. Because he's... Um, not feeling seen and doesn't get that from his partner. Mm -hmm. So the connection that he's longing, um, he's getting it from himself and he's doing that by a form of meditation. Hmm. Um, and it's a mirror meditation. Oh, staring himself in the eyes for 20 minutes. That's a powerful thing to do twice a day. Oof. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's going for it. Yeah. But you know, and I, and I bring that up, just because um, I think that's for anybody who's kind of really um, thinking about what you're saying. I think that's a really strong illustration of the idea of how powerful connection can be. And he's um, calm. Mm -hmm. He's uh, totally grounded in and around this, for lack of a better word, shitstorm of a relationship that's happening around him. Um, and it's because he's connected to, of, of all people, himself. Mm -hmm. Um so I can only imagine that that kind of uh, connection with others would be equally as profound. Um, I'm not about to sit uh, and stare at people for 20 minutes without their permission. But I mean, if, you know, somebody wanted to do that with me, I'd be happy to try to do something like that. Yeah, most people don't even require 20 minutes. Most people can't take past four. There's experiments around that kind of connection, especially yeah. amongst people who typically would dislike each other around race or... I don't know, religion or the way people dress, you know, you're a hillbilly, I'm a rapper kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Within four minutes, most people just have tears pouring down their face because they can't hate a person that's calmly sitting within three feet of them with love in their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, humans aren't bad. We're just taught some really crazy crap. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I can totally see how a, a connection with others, I mean, I'll speak for myself in... Uh, my own uh, work and in my own life and how um, Facebook, you know, it has a big blue icon with an F on it. I should, it should be a big blue icon with a D on it, D for depressing. Right. Um, instead of F for Facebook, because I don't know, I find that too much of it is actually really um, toxic. Well, I mean, it's not what we need. It's just what we've been given as a, another way to feel socially fidgety, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. very, I think very few people are getting a really, really significantly psychologically deeply beneficial experience through social media. Um, and I don't think that that's like, it, that it's all evil. I think that we're trying to get like, we're kind of scratching an itch with a stick that's too short. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to reach what we're trying to get from that. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm not saying it's inherently evil. I just think it's a really important thing and a very potent thing for any human being to know that they can sit next to any other human being, regardless of 
you know, their sex, their age, their, you know, religion, their race, and have a deeply authentic, connected team player-like experience. Because that's our birthright as, you know, proto-human primates. You know, we're designed to live in a pack and share and groom each other. So sure, we've gone through the seemingly unnecessary thing of, you know, my village versus your, my, na my nation versus yours, because we have flags and kings now, and then my religion versus yours. And now we've run out of kind of the, I was of Donald Trump's, you know, fence in Mexico. You know, there's really nothing, there's no reason in the modern world for us to keep creating boundaries. It, it's clearly, you know, we're at the precipice of, okay, fine, let's just open up the internet and share everything and make sure everyone has a bed and some water and a, you know, a snack because otherwise we're just assholes at this point, you know. I'm, I'm sure there might be a few people who disagree with you, but oh, I, get, I, get, I get the sentiment exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm, not willing, I'm willing to be wrong about that. I'm just saying from a, the point of view of this conversation about connection yeah. as a species, we're like one bad habit away from that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and so again, just to, to sort of... Uh, bring our listeners back to the whole idea here. We're talking about a protocol, if you will, uh, an idea of uh, being connected and being uh, somewhat active and eating well as something that's going to um, help you grow old better. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, I think all of us, if we're having a sleepless night, are going to be asking, depending on our age, you know, what is menopause going to be like? What is that last couple of years going to be like? You know, am I, am I going to be abandoned in an old folks prison? I mean, home, I mean, care facility, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and depending on if you're, if you're twenties, thirties, forties, you know, how much time you have to work that out, uh, is less or more, but your attitude about the whole thing is the thing I'm really trying to spark in people is, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, are you aware that you're moving in a direction and without awareness and purpose, it's going to be a lot less satisfying, but with some direction and purpose and some, you know, mojo and piss and vinegar, you might move into your, you know, eighties and nineties, shaking your butt, you know, dancing mm -hmm. to, to whatever the music is going to be when we're in our eighties and nineties and just having a good time because we wanted to stay engaged in life. Well, it's almost like, um, it's almost like getting old is just going to happen. Why don't you just do it as a decent person? Yeah, and why don't you do it with respect to the modern statistics around if you're not paying attention, it could get really, really uh, complicated and expensive. And again, yeah. the average is 15 pills for the last two years sitting in a wheelchair. So that's, you know, you don't want to be passive about that trajectory, mm. right? Was, so, was there other aspects to the, the protocol that we had aside from Well, I, I mean, I, I think that those are like the fundamentals, you know, stay physically fit, eat, eat real food. Don't presume that talking to people with your thumbs through a, you know, rare earth mineral design screen is in any way. It's called an thing. iPhone, Michael. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a window to Satan. No, I'm just kidding. I love my phone. <laughs> Uh, it's, I think it's just to make sure people don't confuse the difference between actual physical grooming, like connection and texting people. Mm -hmm. But there are a couple of other things and they're pretty quick to get into. Um, in different parts of our lives, each of us as individuals are going to bump into something that is going to make us more shy or more courageous. And of course, my recommendation is choose courageous. Hmm. Be unapologetic. 
you know, push your boundaries every once in a while to make sure that you're not uh, cowering beneath them, right? Or, you know, giving your entire vitality and existence away to defend some abstract boundary that, you know, may have to do with something as honestly distracting as, say, racism or religion. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we choose those fences, <clears throat> put a lot of energy into them, and then that becomes a defining thing of our existence as I'm not something else instead of what is that something else? I go, back, I, go, I go back to the idea of being a decent person. Yeah. But again, it, sometimes it takes the courage and the, I don't know, hoopsbah, if that's a word, to just push through a boundary to just see what's on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and this has so much to do with intimacy in the sense of getting to know who we, each of us really, really are uh, in the witnessing of those around us. And the only way you're going to do that is to show up in ways you've never done before or else you technically are, and I mean this to sort of jar people, Technically, you are a coward. You are cowering underneath of illusions to feel safer in control. Yeah. So sometimes we got to just, you know, shake it off and get our little beady eyes out there and leap. In a roundabout way, my take on that um, is what gives me the capacity to sit here with a whole bunch of lights and cameras and microphones um, and do that. Because one day, about five years ago, I walked into the community radio station here and said, uh, can I volunteer here? Knowing full well that my um, written comprehension and uh, ability to get ideas across on paper, um, both uh, onto paper and from paper into my head, were sometimes uh, challenged. And that's a story that I've had for the whole of my life. Mm -hmm. But I think having a cleaner and greener diet... Uh, allows me to do that in a way um, where I actually know what works and what doesn't. And I think that's actually a really great thing to bring up, and I'm grateful you have because uh, obviously it's true to your experience, so it's very valuable in this conversation. But I think having the courage to be a better communicator is a great place to start for everybody. Hmm. Yeah. You know, to just be not so much brutally honest, but unapologetically honest with the people that are close to us about what we truly feel or what we're truly afraid of, you know, or deeply ashamed of what we're uh, fantasizing about that they're doing that's going to hurt us. Because once you start actually speaking to this, half the time you just start laughing out loud going, <laughs> yeah, that is completely insecure, paranoid BS. But it's been in there for months and I just had to get it out. And the other person's like, oh, yeah, I can go to the same place too. You know, I just mm -hmm. I've decided it's, you know, less valid than the kind of fun things that we do together. Sure. But it's it's just getting into that courageous place where um, it isn't about control. It's about, well, it, life's messy. Let's knock some stuff over and see what sure. pops out. Sure. The, the, the book, one of the books I'm reading right now is um, Having Difficult Conversations. Mm -hmm. That's not the whole title. I'm not exactly sure. But I'm sure if you Google Having Difficult Conversations. Is that a Brené Brown book? or I don't remember. I just started getting into her stuff. She's a fantastic communicator and a really honest, authentic person. This book was written by three people. She might be one of them, but I don't remember. But anyway, the, the, the whole basis of the book is, I mean, for me, I do communications work, right? Um, and I picked up the book thinking, um, if I improve who I am as a person and my capacity to understand other people who have difficulty talking or sharing their ideas, then I'll be a better person because I'll be able to be empathetic. I'll be able to um, 
on a professional level, I'll be able to do something with whatever garbage they give me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's, um, let's, let's edit that out. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be able to take their ideas and, you know, mm-hmm. play with them. Um, so yeah, and it, it's a, it's a very, um, a profound book in that it's given me a level of confidence that, um, um, I don't think it's in, increased my confidence. It's just a different confidence. It's like if there was two different confidences in me, there's one that I already knew that I had. And then now I'm reading this and it's almost like it's, um, it's confidence slash empathy. What, what's the book called again? Having difficult conversations. Oh yeah. I was looking at that a while ago. Yeah. That's, that's going to be on my, my list of next things to put on my phone because I like audiobooks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. And it's been translated and it's a second edition and blah, 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 blah. Anyways, just a interesting idea of how um, the idea of courage um, has, for me, been impactful uh, to the nth degree in my life over the past five years because it's given me the capacity to be, um, you know, I sleep good at night Mm -hmm. because I like who I am, because I like what I do, you know. um, It's just really a healthy thing to do. Yep. So we're all going to be more physical. We're going to eat real food. We're going to have the courage to connect to people in ways that may be unfamiliar, which gives us a chance to be more courageous and unapologetic and kind of push around our boundaries. So the last thing that uh, comes up in what I call the primal paradigm is to be able to uh, step into, sink into, and stay with deep moments of appreciation. Hmm. That could be a sunset. It could be uh, you know, we're coming up onto winter so we can sit in our windows, hopefully nice and warm and, you know, watch the snow fall. And there's such a, a potent uh, shift in in consciousness as winter comes on. It may be something you really don't like. It may be something you like, but at least you can deeply appreciate that shift. Hmm. And the more we deeply start to appreciate and savor and, and enjoy the subtle details of uh, all the different things that we have the moments to pay attention to, literally that becomes our superpower. I would think that that is almost um, a form of meditation in some way, the way that we've talked about it in the past, mm-hmm. um, to be able to really sink into something that's happening right in the moment. Yeah, and be grateful for it and to feel all of the gooey, <clears throat> and to feel all of the kind of gooey stuff that goes with literally allowing love um, to basically be the most consistent, radiant, reflective thing that uh, moves you through your life. I mm-hmm. mean, that, I'm starting to sound like I'm starting a cult here or something, but <laughs> you know, that, that that's the opportunity that is also our birthright. Because if we were living in, you know, some matriarchal, tribal, connected, sharing, consensual uh, thing that was about sufficiency for everybody before we started competing, you know, for whatever else would be left all of this stuff would be natural. We would just walk around and hopefully someday as a species, we wake the F up, you know, and, and actually recognize what that opportunity is. And it, it is inevitable or the opposite is inevitable. And the only way that we're going to get to that inevitability, the, the positive one, I think, is to start building up a real sense of uh, self-love and self-awareness. Hmm. So get fit, take care of yourself, stay connected, all those things. And do it selfishly because the rest of us are going to get the most out of this existence if each of us shows up as much as we can as us. Mm -hmm. But hiding behind abstractions or insecurities or, you know, races and religions or nationalities and stuff is just keeping us all cowering. And I mean, I mean, that's going to piss off all the people who are, you know, 
when end up playing guns at somebody, but you know, you're, if you're behind a gun, it's because you're scared. It's not because you're powerful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's the, the Canadian in you saying that. I'm sure there might be a few people that think otherwise. It's more like that. the doctor in me, which is like, come on, we, we you know, how, how could you possibly experience any kind of really deep, profound health if you're living like a porcupine with your quills pointing against the bad all mm. the time? Yeah, right, right. Huh. Um, and I guess that maybe that's a good place to kind of wrap this up because, you know, if we're going to grow old and fit together, we really have to start questioning the things that are exhausting us and keeping us, you mm-hmm. know, hateful and resentful and impatient and unkind because that's not healthy. You know, no. No, matter, no matter how right you think you are, and of course you are right if you've decided to be right about something, it's just exhausting you because it doesn't matter, <laughs> mm. you know. I think it's a very uh, profound uh, look at aging that mm-hmm. we've uh, we've been talking about here for the past uh, hour or so. Um, certainly something that isn't um, formulaic in a way where it's, um, you know, uh, a South Beach diet or some kind of <laughs> some kind of recipe for um, youth. It's it's kind of a recipe for um, uh, really tuning into yourself and um, uh, honoring yourself and loving yourself. Um, I'd say yeah, that I'd start with the fundamentals and I think, well, the next podcast that we're going to do is going to be on insomnia and chronic disease and sleep hygiene. But maybe after that, we could just sit down and do one on the actual total crazy geek out, uh, biohacking, uh, with respect to the anti-aging, uh, opportunities that are out there right now, because I mean, I probably could do that for 10 hours, just talk about different specific foods, different specific supplements, different specific practices that have been scientifically tested and proven to reduce the rate at which human beings age on a cellular level. Very cool. So that might be a fun one just to like give mm-hmm. people like, well, we coming up probably around Christmas, right? So then people can be doing, looking like New Year's Christmas. So yeah, what what is the top 10 things to do to slow down how you age? Because that's usually what people are thinking about in some way around New Year's. So. Yeah, that'll make a good uh, resolution yeah. uh, podcast. <laughs> that'll be kind of fun. Um, this has been Fusion Health Radio, episode 40. Again, the title? Let's Grow Old and Fit Together. Yeah, and I'm getting Michael to say that because that's the title of an upcoming book. Uh, is it going to be mm-hmm. a paper book or ebook? Well, what the plan is with the Kickstarter thing is uh, there's five books. Um, one is going to be the, it's already out, the Ancestral Diet book, but I want to do a second edition and tighten up a couple of ideas. And honestly, it's it weighs 1.2 kilograms. So getting it across the border into the States is ridiculously expensive for the people in the States. So if I can make it just a little bit lighter, then people can order it without spending more on the shipping than they're paying for the book. <laughs> uh, also, I do want to add a couple of things to, to that to make it a bit, a bit clearer for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we actually did that book uh, three or four years ago through crowdfunding. So uh, I'm just excited to like, you know, once again, dive into the crowdfunding world to get that, that book done. And there's going to be... Um, basically an instructed kind of instructor manual for Qigong practice. There's going to be a book on applied meditation. There's the book I've been using and writing for the last 15 years for a cleansing course. It's called, uh, it'll become the next version of it's going to be called 12 steps to abundant health. Um, and that's like a tome of crazy research and geek outs and little questionnaires to help people figure out what, what's up with, with their body. And then the last one is going to be this one, which is let's grow old and fat, scratch that out, fit together. 
Um, and then there's three more that if we get uh, the funding for those books, uh, then I'll add what are called uh, reach goals or stretch goals or something like that. Because there's actually eight that I could do next year. Hmm. Uh, and have them initially published as ebooks. Well, then that that's honestly the hard part because you have to pay for the editing and basically the typesetting or the the way it's uh, going to look. You have to pay for all the pictures because you can't just borrow pictures from Google and <laughs> publish them for a book. Uh, so that that's where a lot of the the expense kind of goes. But if there is enough interest, then the stretch goals are going to be, you know, okay, let's publish this one as an actual hard copy book. Mm-hmm. You know, and most of them are going to actually come with an e course. So if you're looking to get into meditation, I think we did podcast on applied meditation about a month ago. <clears throat> I mean, applied meditation, not medication. <laughs> I was just going to check you on that. Um, but if you wanted to actually take that as like a 10, 15 hour course, then with the crowdfunding thing, people can basically say, okay, well, I'm going to support, you know, I want to copy the book the, and I want to take the course. But that way we, sh- we should be able to raise the funds to give me the the time I'd, I would need to take off of work to sit down and just make sure that's all done. But honestly, most of the investment we're looking for is to, to get the editing and the graphic designing done because that's always the, the real tricky fiddly bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the longest, um, probably more work than actually writing the book. Yeah, that's that's always a little bit of a hard thing to take. It's <laughs> been like 10 years working on it. You're like, oh, I have a manuscript. Now I have to spend <laughs> tons of money and time to turn it into an actual usable book. Uh, it sounds like a good idea. So uh, we're going to get details to that uh, in the show notes. Uh, if Yeah, well, once I have the Kickstarter campaign done, then I can go back and okay. just add that to the show notes. But I don't know if it'll be ready before we launch this podcast. But. Uh, in the meantime, if uh, people want to stay connected with you, a great way to do that. Uh, certainly there's Fusion Health Radio on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, IntegrativeHealthSolutions.ca. I think people can sign up for your email list there. Uh, yep, that would uh, definitely be a good idea if you're wanting to stay in touch about all that stuff. But yeah. it's going to be probably a theme with the podcast that we're doing right now. Uh, over the next couple of months, because obviously if you're listening to us for more than an hour, you're probably into the same stuff. And maybe if you want, you could uh, help us out either by supporting the podcast, because we're going to get a Patreon thing for the podcast to help pay for gear and stuff. Coming soon. Coming soon. Podcast. <clears throat> but also hopefully people would be interested in uh, reading some of those books, because all that stuff's pretty good to know. Great. Uh, well, dear listener, if you're this far into the podcast, uh, thank you. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Please share this with a friend uh, and help us uh, spread the uh, good ideas uh, that we've talked about here today. Again, Fusion Health Radio, uh, the Health, Lifestyle, and Mindset Podcast. I'm Anthony Senna. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. Uh, Please rate and review because that proves to the universe that we exist. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you next time, folks. Okay, bye.